Barefooting with Sierra uses Buzzsprout. Just start with the equipment you already have and a quiet space. Add Buzzsprout and your podcast is ready to go. You'll get a great looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to show how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and helps support the show. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout and get your message out to the world. Hello and welcome to episode 63 of Barefooting with Sierra. I'm a little bit sick, but don't worry. This podcast is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral land of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Ojibwe, Nakota Sioux, and others for time immemorial. I also would like to acknowledge that this land is home to the Métis Nation of Alberta and that I'm a settler on this land. My name is Sierra Larson Baker. I got married yesterday. Better known as Barefoot Sierra, I am a novelist, comic creator, and independent journalist. I use they, them pronouns, and I have been living without shoes since 2010. I created this podcast to keep my audiences in touch with all of my projects, to talk about things I care about, and to interact with the awesome people in my various professional networks. I break this podcast up into four parts, novels, comics, journalism, and barefooting, each representing a different aspect of my professional life. In this episode, I interview Zach Maroy and Brett Melograno of Dwarf Star Comics about their new anthology, Voyage Melting Pot. Let's get started. First up, novels. My novel, Red 72 Revelation, is available for Kindle pre-order. This finale to my Red 72 series is set four years after the Second Red War that took place in the previous book, Red 72 Exodus. Now struggling with PTSD from her time as a soldier in the war, journalist Candace Carroll demands answers to her questions about the biochemical weapon Red 72, questions that others are afraid to ask. These questions take her to the Philippines, where the First Red War began, and put her in danger once again. Red 72 Revelation comes out June 21st in paperback and ebook. My New Year's resolution was to read one book from the Texas Banned Books list each week. This week, I read Transmission, My Quest to a Beard by Alex Birdie. It's part memoir about a transgender YouTuber's transition, part guidebook to being trans. I think it's an important book because it's not exclusively targeted at a genderqueer audience that already knows everything about how biological sex and the way we mentally experience gender are separate things. The book seems to be targeted mainly at people who know Birdie as an out trans YouTuber and would like to learn more about trans issues and it goes into a lot of detail explaining things in a way that is informative and open. Birdie gets really real in this book, talking about things that would be so invasive to just ask someone about, but that doesn't mean people don't have those questions. Obviously, I appreciate all the queer books because I see myself in them. Birdie talks about gym class at school and being super uncomfortable with changing in front of other people, so he would wear his gym clothes underneath his regular clothes. I lived in Florida, and I would have died if I did that. I changed in the handicap stall in the bathroom so no one would see me and I wouldn't see anyone. And Bertie says in retrospect he wishes he had done that. The book also talks about mental health and how hiding from your problems doesn't help, but how dealing with them head on is the only way to resolve them. So much this. I spent decades keeping my head down and trying to be quiet and not make my problems worse instead of being proactive about fixing them, but I'm having to reprogram my brain in therapy. 
I think this book can help kids in junior high and high school with mental and emotional resilience, as well as making safe, informed relationship choices, regardless of where they fall on the gender or sexuality spectrum. It definitely belongs in school libraries. The only things I can think of that could be construed as valid reasons for it to be on the banned list are the curse words spattered throughout the book, which, whatever, plenty of the books I was required in school had curse words in them. I watched a movie in my grade 6 history class that said the F word. Let's not pretend the school system actually cares about sheltering children from crude language. The book does contain a chapter on sex and prosthetic penises, but it's informative without being too detailed or graphic. The information in the chapter is age-appropriate for the level of writing and would do well in junior high and high school libraries. In novel news, a few weeks ago I told you about a law in Maryland that required publishers to offer libraries access to ebooks on the same day they became available for public download in order to prevent publishers from locking in ebooks for exclusivity for a certain amount of time after they came out. <coughs> the law is being challenged in court by the Association of American Publishers claiming it infringes on their rights. The U.S. District Court for the District of Maryland issued a preliminary injunction in the case on February 16th. For those who, like me, would have to Google what a preliminary injunction is, let me save you the trouble. A preliminary injunction is a court order for one of the parties involved in the case to refrain from performing a particular act before the entry of final judgment, according to the Thomson Reuters Practical Law website. Basically, what this means is that the publishers don't have to give libraries access to their ebooks during their exclusivity periods unless and until the case is settled in the state's favor. And sure, that's a sad day for accessing ebooks at libraries. Publishing companies can sometimes look out for the libraries, though. In response to an increase in book banding in the U.S., Penguin Random House CEO Marcus Dole is personally donating half a million dollars to PEN America, a free speech organization. He hopes others will follow suit and donate to the Dole Book Defense Fund to provide support to communities where books are being challenged, like Texas. The cynic in me wants to say this is probably just a publicity stunt or a way to reduce his tax burden through charitable donations, but maybe this is philanthropy for the sake of philanthropy. Now on to comics. I've done multiple comics this week, continuing the healthy coping skills theme, and did a commission piece of a sailor raccoon, all of which are on my comics Instagram at World of Possums and my comics Facebook page Possum Pete Comics. Our possum and raccoon wedding cake toppers are on there too. So cute. And now for my interview with Zach Maroy and Brett Melagrano of Dwarf Star Comics. It's great to have you back on, Zach. It's you know, it's been a year. I'm sure you've got lots going on, new comic coming out. Why don't you tell us what you've been up to in the last year? Um if anybody maybe didn't listen to the last episode you were on, tell us a little bit about the comics you've put out before and what you've got coming out now. Uh, from the last time that we talked, you know, I was in the middle of one, uh, launching Voyage the Call. Uh, that funded uh, you know, the five grand. That was like a really cool project. It was supposed to be like a one shot to really focus in on the character Sonderon because uh, the book that he was in previous was uh, Anthology Volume 1. Uh, that I did in the second year of school. I'm probably three years out of this, uh, you know, out of the college now. And uh, I just launched my new Kickstarter on uh, kick, my new book on Kickstarter, Voyage Melting Pot. This is actually way more bigger than the first anthology. It's got 200 pages with 16 stories. 
and 23 Cupid School students, uh, which are graduates, a couple that are still in. We got a lot of narratives to really throw at people, just a wide variety of the variety of the eclectic characters and storylines. That does sound like quite huge. How does it all tie in together? Is it more like an encyclopedia? Is it like the MCU where it all ties together? How does it all work together? When I started uh, my door star brand, I did that uh, probably the second semester of my third year at the school. And the way that I put in all these characters and make it work canonically while everybody, you know, is still figuring out their characters and storylines is my character, uh, Sonderon, is a character that travels throughout the universe. And he can go through any universes. He can, you know, pretty much travel anywhere that nothing is out of his reach. So for all these stories that are very different from one another, uh, the reason why they work is because he could either be there, you know, interacting with that character in that story, or he has witnessed it on his ship. So it really gives a free reign of uh, what people are able to do with uh, what they're doing with their stories and how they're creating it. It's um, the first volume, Sondron was almost in every single story, uh, which was eight stories at the time. Uh, so he was interacting with all the characters. Uh, with this book, Melting Pot, he's like Tales from the Crypt, the Crypt Keeper, where he's pretty much the host and he's, you know, talking to the reader within the first two pages of the book, like, hey, how you doing? You know, now that you're here, you know, let me go ahead and throw you on some adventures that I have seen and witnessed along the way. So he goes ahead and, you know, does that whole shebang. And then, you know, he thrusts you into this whole thing, <laughs> just throws you right into this uh, adventure. Sounds very exciting. And I can't wait to to take uh, take a look at it and read this oh yeah brendan creator he is the guy who has helped uh co-create sonderon he's a big component in the dwarf star team as well perfect all right bring in brett in hi brett welcome hi can you hear me or no i can yeah okay perfect i was having uh what's he call it uh technical issues a minute ago so that's what what was keeping me back you know hey no worries it happens to the best of us I know for um, as much talking. as they say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's been talking to Zach here about about the the project that you've got um set up on Kickstarter now. Um mm-hmm. I've talked with Zach before, but I haven't talked with you before. So if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with this project, I'd love that. Sure. Well, uh, you know, Zach and I both went to the uh the Joe Kubert school. That's where we where we met originally. I guess through our, our th- you know, we were together in class uh, our first year and uh, and we started collaborating during our third year. Um, I actually was on the first Kickstarter, the uh, the first book that you had mentioned. Uh, I was the writer on that one. And uh, for this one, uh, you know, Zach had originally done the first um, anthology, just which is called Voyage. And he was planning to do the second uh anthology come uh 2021 and after we finished up the first kickstarter he said uh invited me to to uh contribute to this book so 
um, that's how uh, how I came on to this uh, project right now. Excellent. So this is a question for both of you. I'll have Zach answer first and then Brett. What do you think are the pros and cons of working with other people instead of just having the project all on your own? All right. So the pros I would have to say is the talent and, you know, how talented everybody is. And I'll tell you one thing, man, I have worked with these guys, uh, while I was at the Cuba school, we were all students together in different classes. Their work is just nothing short of breathtaking. They ha- they have made miles and uh, what they have improved from, you know, years ago. And uh, their storytelling has strengthened a lot. So I think that's a huge pro um, to Melting Pot. Uh, for cons, like I would have to say, you know, is trying to get it all in one time, uh, all the pages in at the time that I, you know, I tell them, Hey, it's due at this time. And you know, that I got to play catch up. So it kind of puts me back a little bit and, you know, and I'm not going to go ahead and lie, um, you know, and tell people who are listening in on the show, you know, it's, it's an easy thing to keep track of people. It's very difficult. Cause you gotta like, remember you gotta, you know, take a uh, count for pages. How many pages are you giving an individual, who's doing a story. And then because, you know, each page costs a lot of money uh, at the end of the day, as you put it all together. And then you got to realize, you know, what are their strengths and weaknesses? Are they better off just doing a pinup or are they able to go ahead and do a story and get that in on time for you? And then sometimes you, you know, you got to throw away, uh, you can't mix, you know, friends and uh, you know, business together um, you kind of have to separate the two. You know, with me, I've had a lot of practice, so I can go ahead and combine that and not have any difficulty or any ill will towards somebody who's late on a deadline. You know, I know how to handle that very well, but you're going to get those difficulties. So you're going to have to like separate friendship and really lean on them and be like, listen, you know, this is like the second time, you know, you, I can't keep doing this. You're going to have to get off the book. And I apologize. So those are the cons is having to step in as an editor, um, as an owner and really, uh, play that role. That's the part I don't like, but I have to do it anyway. Totally fair. And Brett, what are your pros and cons? Uh, as far as, uh, having a bunch of people on the book, you mean? Yeah. And working on a collaborative process versus just working on your own. I don't, I think the pros are, are, I think the pros somewhat outweigh the cons. I mean, I, I totally, uh, you know, uh, speaking with Zach on the, uh, you know, he would tell me his frustrations, uh, you know, trying to get things in on time and stuff like that. I mean, you know, we're all busy people and everything. And, you know, you definitely have to have that understanding. Um, but I do think the the pros of having a project like this with so many different uh, eclectic and different voices definitely outweigh that that little kind of you know uh pain because you know we're getting so many different views and and ideas from from people that you know it's something like that is just you know you just have to accept it because at the end of the day you're probably going to get something really spectacular something that you probably might not have thought of or might not have imagined and stuff so i think that definitely hearing from different voices and, and from different people and just being surprised in the end definitely outweighs, uh, you know, sort of the, the, the tough parts of it and stuff. So, 
Um, that's that's what I would think uh, a project like this. It, it's more rewarding in the end, just doing something solo, I, I think. So I've never worked on any project that involved more than three people, including myself. And even that was kind of chaotic. How are you managing to keep track of everybody, Zach? Oh, I've... Like I said, it was a lot of practice. When I, I'm, the whole point is to never be comfortable. Uh, if you start getting comfortable in what you're doing, you're doing it wrong. Um, you know, you're and it's gonna go ahead and beat you in the end. So I always, I always wanted to go ahead and make things difficult for myself. I, I feel like I've had an act for doing that all the time. Uh, just making everything seem harder in the beginning for myself. Um, and, you know, in which this case, you know, with all the excruciating work at the Joe Keeper School I was doing with uh, homework, I was like, you know what, screw it. Let's go ahead and make an anthology novel with all these people. Um, so I had a lot of practice, you know, holding emotions, trying to handle it professionally. So when it came time to bring these guys back again and, you know, bring in some new blood as well, I've had enough practice to handle that uh, it i think the best advice i could give in uh managing that is to not think about the project every single day um think about the story that you yourself is making and realize the potential in it and then you know get a calendar and just plan accordingly set dates aside you know manage your time wisely because that is the key components in trying to not freak out. Because when you have everything planned, you know, everything will fall accordingly. And even if one thing falls through, you know, you'll have a backup plan ready. I think that's so important. Uh, even with solo projects, like I've got um, a book launch. Uh, my next novel comes out June 21st. And just breaking it down into little steps and it's not even something every day. It's like every two or three days, there's like, okay, now I need to get it set up as an ebook on Amazon. Okay, now I need to get it listed on Barnes and Noble, you know, Kindle, Nook, whatever, everything. You can't just tackle it all at once. It's impossible. But yeah, just a little bit at a time, not every day, so you don't get overwhelmed. And, you know, if one thing does fall through the cracks, it's not everything that fell through. So yeah, that's. I think great advice for any creative project, whether collaborative or solo. And Brett, do you have any solo projects that you're working on as well or other collaborative projects? Like what else do you have going on? Uh, Well, after this project, uh, Zach and I are actually uh, pivoting to the solo uh, Sondron um, story. Um, Sondron's a character that Zach has been... uh, has created uh, and he's been working with for quite some time. And uh, we had talked about this last year that what we're planning to do is a a six issue arc where we're actually going to, you know, focus solely on Sonderon because, you know, in the uh, first anthology and the one shot and the story in this book, um, you know, they're just kind of sort of one off adventures, slice of life of, of Sonderon and in this six issue arc, um, we're going to be diving uh, into the backstory of Sandron. We're going to be introducing a lot of different characters, going to a lot of different locations and such. So uh, we're going to be transitioning to uh, to that. Um, 
I think there's a couple other projects that Zach and I had talked about uh, that are sort of uh, uh, in the furnace uh, working right now. Um, and then, you know, uh, personally, I'm uh, going to start transitioning to uh, following up with the story that I have in the anthology. I'm going to actually be expounding on on that character as well. So, uh, you know, there's definitely some things that we have uh, percolating. But like I said, we're going to be transitioning more to the uh, solo uh, Sandron series coming up after this project. Which that one's going to be amazing. I'm sure it will be. Sondaron is such a fascinating character. Like, Sondaron reminds me of Thanos, but not wanting to kill everyone. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I'm excited to see what's what's coming and what's going to be next. Um, where can people find your comics and where can people reach out to you online? So to find my comics, I'm actually teamed up with uh, Adam Watson uh, because he owns Comics Mainstream. It's an independent comics distribution center. Uh, I think it's in Oregon. Um, he just started up a few months ago, but um, you know, you, to get the Voyage books, you go on comicsmainstream.com. But for Voyage Melting Pot, this just launched on Kickstarter yesterday. So if you type in Voyage Melting Pot, you're going to find that and, you know, we got a lot of good rewards, you know, got, dude, I'll tell you right now, the artwork, like I said, it, it's stunning. It's just beautiful, beautiful work done by everybody. And I've been doing a lot of editing on it. And I, I can promise you this, like 90% of the work is already done. So it's really just the final touch-ups, you know, getting the rest of the pages from everyone, sizing it up, getting the letters final. You know, it's just like the final stages. So we just need to get it back. And we have a $25,000 goal. I know it's high, but uh, it's a 200-page hardcover. It's going to look nice and sleek on your bookshelf. It's a big goal, but you made your goal last time. And I think your your fans will come back and support you and be excited for, for what you've got. I hope so. Yeah, I got, I got a lot on this. I mean, I, you know, people are like hitting me up. Everyone and their mother is just telling me like, you know, are you excited? You know, you just launched. You should be proud. I'm freaking scared. <laughs> How long is your Kickstarter period? This one is uh, going to last uh, for 30 days. It's going to end on March 3rd, uh, March 3rd. So plenty of time. I'm sure you'll make it. Uh, fingers crossed. <laughs> All right. And Brett, do you have any... Um other social medias or anything where people can reach out to you? Uh, you know, I guess the, the, the best one, I'm not a complete social media uh, whiz kid on this, but I, I guess my Instagram is the best one to get me. Uh, it's just uh, my first initial B and then Melograno, M-E-L-O-G-R-A-N-O. So uh, I'm going to start to be a little bit more proactive on that, uh, you know, posting a little bit more of my writing and, and such. So uh, yeah, there's that uh, outlet that they could probably find me on. Excellent. What is, it's been so great chatting with you and best of luck to both of you, your whole team, and with your Kickstarter. I'm really excited to see where this is going to go. Thank you so much. I, like I said, I deeply appreciate it. And, you know, it's really, you know, it's pretty funny when you said that whole like Thanos thing. You know, just thinking about it. Yeah, I've had a couple people say that. But I love when people think, and just enjoy the character, you know, like, and associate him with other things. Because it just makes it more fun and enjoyable. Well, and it means people can relate to 
what you're writing, yeah. seeing it in other works, and it's great. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Hmm. You're doing great stuff. I have the link to the Kickstarter for Voyage Melting Pot in the show notes. Be sure to check that out. I know you're going to love it. All right, next up is journalism. February is Black History Month. This episode's Black History Highlight is on Frances Harper, the first black woman to publish a short story in the United States. Harper was an abolitionist and teacher in addition to her writing poetry and fiction. Frances was born free in Baltimore, Maryland on the 24th of September, 1825 to free parents. Her parents' names are unknown, and they both died before her fourth birthday, leaving Frances an orphan. Her mother's sister, Henrietta, and her husband, Reverend William J. Watkins Sr., adopted Frances and gave her their last name. Reverend Watkins founded the Watkins Academy for Negro Youth, which Frances attended. As a teenager, she worked for a white family that owned a bookshop where she was able to use her free time reading the books in the shop. At age 26, Frances Watkins became the first teacher at Union Seminary, an African Methodist Episcopal-affiliated school for black students. Her writing career began in 1839, when she was 14 years old, with pieces in anti-slavery journals. She published her first book of poems, Forest Leaves, also published as Autumn Leaves, at the age of 20 in 1845. In 1858, Frances refused to give up her seat or ride in the segregated colored section of a trolley car in Philadelphia, 97 years before Rosa Parks. The next year, her short story, The Two Offers, was published in the Anglo-African newspaper, making her the first black woman to publish a short story in the United States. In current events, Major League Soccer Team DC United has partnered with blockchain provider XDC Network to create a first-of-its-kind fan experience. The partnership will provide blockchain education to DC United fans through fan experiences, fan tokens, NFT trading, and exclusive special access features. I still don't see the appeal in paying actual money for what essentially amounts to a screenshot or a URL, but hey, you do you. Every year, the University of Miami awards a Freedom Summer of 64 award to an individual, group, or organization who embodies the legacy of the Mississippi Summer Project, a mass effort to register black voters in 1964. This year's award winner is the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center in Cincinnati. The center brings awareness to social justice issues and civil disobedience by hosting speakers, discussions, and private events, and featuring special traveling and permanent exhibits. Last but not least, let's talk about barefooting. My biggest barefoot adventure in the past week was obviously a barefoot wedding. Thank you so much to everyone who watched the Zoom live stream, such as wedding gifts, wished us well, even though we, by necessity, had a very limited attendance. In barefoot news, a group of 22 people is spending the next month walking to 22 states to raise awareness about veteran mental health issues such as traumatic brain injury, PTSD, and suicide. The number 22 is symbolic. 22 veterans die by suicide each day. One member of the group, David McElroy, is a 24-year Air Force veteran, and he is walking barefoot to raise even more attention to the cause. He told Tallahassee's WCTV, walking in the snow and ice, and they're like, who is this idiot walking barefoot up here and it's 17 degrees? But we have to let the general public know that there is an issue in our veterans community. I commend this group and wish them success in their march through 22 states, which will take them from Tallahassee to Montgomery, Alabama, then to Nashville, Tennessee. 
I do wonder if the group will end up in Pennsylvania, where this next story comes from. Philadelphia's News Tribune ran an article this week titled, COVID-19 Has Even Ruined Our Feet. They interviewed a man who decided to use his forced time off from work, thanks to the pandemic, to get in shape. Timothy Hudson dropped 100 pounds through diet and exercise, which is awesome. He says he's never felt better except for his feet. For some reason, the News Tribune thinks the plantar fasciitis and Achilles tendonitis Hudson developed as a result of dramatically increasing his physical activity level is to blame on the fact that he wasn't wearing shoes at home the rest of the time. They interviewed podiatrist Laura Virtue DeLio, who recommended that if you're developing foot pain, the best thing you can do is wear supportive shoes even in the house because that will protect you from injury. Which, sure, having the right shoes can make a world of difference. But to blame going barefoot for plantar fasciitis and Achilles tendonitis, like the article repeatedly does? No. When I started having to wear steel-toed boots for work in August, I could feel myself developing plantar fasciitis the first day from rigid footwear. I ended up buying insoles, and while I still despise the steel-toed boots, I no longer literally feel the tendons in my feet going rigid from immobility. I'd been barefoot for basically the last year, because I'd been working from home, and no foot pain until I went back to work and started wearing rigid shoes. A 2015 study at Ithaca College came to the conclusion that going barefoot regularly strengthens the muscles in your feet and actually prevents plantar fasciitis and Achilles tendonitis. Professor Patrick McKeon, who ran the study, determined that while supportive shoes have their place, over-reliance on them in treating and preventing foot injuries can make them worse because the muscles in the feet continue to weaken. He does note, however, that barefoot time should be gradually increased. So Virtue Delia wasn't totally wrong. People suddenly going barefoot all the time could have caused them aches and pains. But in the overall, I think it did more good than anything. That's all for this week's episode. I'll be back next week with an interview with filmmaker Dave Bresnahan about his newest film, Grandpa's Crazy. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to sierrathebarefootgirl at gmail.com. Thank you to Legion X for my intro and outro music. You can find me on Twitter at Sierra Barefoot, on Instagram at Sierra the Barefoot, and on TikTok at Sierra is Barefoot. All of my books are available on Amazon and on my website, sierrathebarefootgirl.com. The Patreon for my comics is patreon.com slash possumpete. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. Until next time, this has been Barefooting with Sierra.